0: Hey, if this is your first time listening, I strongly recommend going back to episode one, Where Warm Waters Halt, to listen to the story from the beginning. Okay, here's the show.
1: Cavalry Audio.
2: Oh, it's magnificent. It's a beautiful building, and it's got a couple of casitas out behind it. I mean, it's just filled with wonderful art. It was the place when I was in the hotel business before this job, friends would come into town and people would say to me, you know, what gallery should I go to? I say, you know, you need to decide what art you're going to shop for. And then I could direct them to this gallery or that gallery. But I always said, and you need to go to the Fenn gallery because it was like going to a museum with price tags next to the pictures.
0: That's Randy Randall, the director of tourism for the city of Santa Fe, who, much like Forrest Fenn, moved to Santa Fe later in his life, became enamored of the city, and decided to stay.
2: It has forever been a mecca for artists and photographers. I mean, that's why George O'Keefe kind of put us on the art map, and we've never left it. The fact that Santa Fe has 250 art galleries A population of 82,000 people. It's the third largest art market in the United States. And it is the most concentrated art market in the United States. There are just many unique things about Santa Fe. And that's actually, uh, you know, our moniker is the city different. And uh, we truly are different than any place you've been. And people come to find out what that difference is and then they kind of drink the Kool-Aid and they become fans of Santa Fe.
0: Welcome back to X Marks the Spot. You're listening to episode six, The End is Ever Drawing Nigh. And so it is. As we explore this clue, realize that we are more than halfway through the poem, and should be well on our way to the riches that await. Or at least to some answers about the location and how to find it. Barbara Anderson, though confident, didn't reveal much about where she believed the treasure lay concealed for so many years. So let's hear what Dave Woodard has to say.
1: That whole first stanza, that is critical, those four lines, because He's explaining there, and in the stories, he talks about there and where. So I kind of lined him up in the stories also, but when he says, I can keep my secret where, where, if you look up the definition, it's a there. So I was like, okay, I can keep my secret where, and hint of Richard's new and old. That's what brought me to Palisade Sill, because of the new canyon and the old canyon rock that's divided beautifully. It's just separated at Palisade Sill.
0: He's saying sill, S-I-L-L, Palisades Sill. A sill is a geologic feature that we'll explain in a minute. For now, let's get to know Dave and his solve. Mr. Woodard is a retired corrections officer from central Massachusetts, and he dedicated many years to solving Forrest's poem, searching the mountains of the American West, and producing video content of his experiences.
1: I was actually sitting in a tower at work at Gardner Prison just kind of hanging around and there was an outside magazine there and I read the article. I started looking into it and I came up with Cimarron within three or four hours, literally. I, I was like, I've I got to go this place. This seems like the right place. Cimarron Canyon is actually in New Mexico. It's between Eagle's Nest and Cimarron, the town of Cimarron. I started looking up the clues for Cimarron, and, and I was all over the place, like everybody else. You have to break down how the actual clues fit and what fits where, and, and it's a process of elimination. It's not something that—they're uh, saying Jack did it in a year. There's no way he did it in a year. And he's trying to say it's a lot simpler than it is, but it's it's not. It's complicated.
0: — Dave's correct in saying that his solve was very different than most others particularly when it comes to the first stanza of the poem. The general consensus of the search community was that the first stanza is useless when it comes to finding the treasure. But not Dave. As far as Dave is concerned, it's damn near the whole enchilada. And specifically, the line, Hint of riches new and old, according to Dave, is a perfect match that pinpoints Palisade Sill as the search area.
1: The reason I came up with Cimarron isn't even in one of the clues because I looked up the word brown in Spanish and it's marron. And I was like, oh, Cimarron, Cimarron. So that's what kind of got me hooked on Cimarron. It took a little while because once I realized with my treasures bold and I could keep my secret where, he's telling you he's keeping his secret where and hinting of riches new and old. Now, everybody else was thinking new stuff goes inside the treasure chest, old stuff goes in, but it's literally the old canyon and the new canyon. And it's actually in order, as he says, because as you drive into the canyon from Eagle's Nest, it's all, I can keep my secret where and hint of which is new and old. So the first half of the whole canyon up to Palisade is all new rock, younger rock. And it's all older rock after you get by Palisades,
2: still.
0: A sill is technically an intrusion of newer rock in between layers of existing older rock. Think of your typical layers of bedding. There's the fitted sheet, the top sheet, and the comforter, right? The top sheet, right there in the middle. That would be the sill. So, new rock and old rock. Rich is new and old. Seems ironclad. I haven't looked to see how many sills exist in the Rocky Mountain states, but that doesn't seem to matter. Let's see how the rest of the clues fit in.
1: I sent him a picture. November 1st, I sent Forrest that picture, and that was in 2017. In December of 2017, a month later, I was already home. He came out with a quote, I have a gut feeling that the treasure chest is going to be found by the end of next summer. So everybody got all excited in 2017. And I was like, holy mackerel, I'm like, that's, he's talking about me. but like, Everybody else thought it was them, so I can't judge because I still have to figure out the rest of the poem.
0: Before Dave tells us his solve, it's worth noting that Forrest Fenn himself posted a very rare clue about the location of the treasure in a blog comment, noting that his chest was at least 8.25 miles north of the city of Santa Fe. He actually said it was 66,000 links, as in links of a chain north of the New Mexican capital. But for expediency, we'll just note here that the math works out to 8.25 miles north of Santa Fe, New Mexico.
1: On Google Maps, and this is why people say you can solve it within the, the first two clues, and Forrest said it, from Agua Freya Peak to Eagle's Nest. There's your map portion. You're to Walmart Assault, take it in the canyon down, a five or two fighter walk, put in below the home of Brown, which is Eagle's Nest. If you pull up history of Eagle's Nest, it says it, it has a description home of, it used to be called home of the Brown. But from Eagle's Nest on Google, it's 8.3 miles to Palisades Hill. Mm-hmm. Now he says it's more than 8.25 miles north of Santa Fe. He brings in all these different clues that fit somewhere in his whole poem. And that's where that one fits. And it, it's not on a map. If you look at Google, unless you really zoom in all the way to Palisade Hill, it's not gonna show up like a town does or like Agua Free Peak. It's something you're not gonna see. So you can figure out Agua Free Peak, you can figure out Eagle's Nest, but the 8.3 is the more than 8.25 when you hit Palisade Sill. So when you know that's your search area, on the 8.3 miles, you park, and as I said in my videos, I'm going to be there all day searching. So I park in the overflow parking area that's next to the Palisade Sill picnic area, and I parked in front of that cross for four years.
0: That's a very important element Dave just casually mentioned. He parked in front of that cross for four years. The parking lot where Dave spent so much time, and especially the mysterious cross, will eventually become vitally important.
1: The word there, again, if you realize, and this is the pinpoint, this is the other pinpoint from the word there. And it's the reason I believe he said, have a child read the poem, because they are going to pick up on, hey, the word there, as I've gone alone in there, it matches with the word from there, it's no place for the meek. So that's the same place that he's talking about in his poem. And if you know where the word there is, which is Palisades Hill, so from there, it's no place for the meek this may seem crazy, but the mountain man video, I'm I'm not sure if you've watched that one. I realized after I'm like, Oh my God, he brings in mountain men in the first book. He brings in mountain man wisdom. He brings in mountain men in the second book or mountain man. And then he also brings in mountain man in the third book. And I'm like, he's actually talking about the old man face. That's right around the corner from Palisade itself. So in consecutive order, From there, it's no place for the meek, is the old man face that's right on the opposite side of Palisade Sill as you're going down the canyon.
0: There is indeed a well-known rock formation that resembles an old man just across from Palisade Sill. And as for the next clue, the end is ever drawing nigh?
1: Um, That, I'm still, I mean, to me, it was on your left, because some people say nigh is left, but the end is ever drawing nigh is close.
0: So maybe not exactly a perfect fit, but nonetheless, Dave would not be deterred.
1: You don't need to do any more searching besides Palisades Hill, when you realize the map portion, how it fits and how everything lines up in order. So you, you, your search area is Palisades Hill.
0: Until he was. After an admittedly disastrous boots on the ground excursion in 2018 that saw him again come up empty handed, Dave had had enough.
1: And I told Forrest in 2018, I said, "Um, you beat me, I'm, I'm done, I'm frustrated. Even before summer was over, I sent him that message that I was done. But three days after we left the canyon, Cimarron Canyon caught on fire. So that whole canyon was shut down. And then that's when the announcement came out from Forrest in 2018, My thoughts on someone finding the treasure chest this year are wavering. And I'm thinking, why is he saying it in July, when you still have all the rest of the whole summer and people are going to be looking? I mean, either it's the message I told Forrest I was done, or it's because there's fires in Cimarron and they could be going on for the next few months.
0: Similar to Barbara Anderson, Dave feels like his actions as well as his emails to Forrest were secretly driving the public messaging from the Fen camp.
1: Of the actual rock structure 30 feet away from the the blaze, uh, that's when he announced about the treasure possibly being found. And then the following year, I sent him emails telling him that I just had a really frustrating trip and I was all done. He beat me, probably going to give up. But I didn't. I couldn't couldn't let it go. But those were a lot of the correspondence I had uh, with Forrest before I found the actual cross, because that changed everything.
0: Okay, so now we get to the all-important cross.
1: I was sitting in the truck with her, and I said, he beat me again. He, he just, his tricking, so trick know, tricky comments and words, and I'm like, I can't figure out what to look quickly down is.
0: For clarity, look quickly down your quest to cease is a later line in the poem that Dave is referencing here.
1: And I parked in front of that cross and I'm staring at the cross that says Kent and Esther. And it, it finally, it finally, because I knew that it had to be there somewhere, I put the Kent and Esther into Ken
0: I'm going to let that sit for just a second. And yes, he did say, Ken The Eureka moment for Mr. Woodard came when he realized that the handmade cross, barely two feet tall, just off the blacktop of the overflow parking lot at the Palisades Sill State Park in New Mexico, was actually the X that marked the precise spot where Dave Woodard believed the treasure was buried.
1: I sent for us a picture of that cross of the Cantonese and the actual quote where he says, if you can't figure out the first clue, you might as well stay home and play Canasta. The first clue literally literally pulls you to Palisades Sills. So when you pull into that parking lot in park, as I did, I parked right in front of that cross for four years and didn't realize that Kent and Esther were Canasta, an androgynous name. It's partly male, partly female. And uh, so when I realized that that, Kent and Esther? I'm like, oh my god, that's Canaster.
0: Fenn had indeed made an offhand remark about staying home and playing Canasta. And there, hiding in plain sight, was a small monument to a deceased couple who apparently loved Palisade Sill. A couple whose names were Kent and Esther. But according to Dave, because Forrest doesn't make offhand remarks the Kent and Esther mentioned on that cross were actually a clue. Their names existed only to be combined into a homophone for the card game Canasta. Canester. And, once figured out, that would act as a neon sign indicating the final resting place for Forrest Fenn's gold. More X Marks The Spot after the break. so the big question why doesn't dave woodard have the chest
1: i hadn't dug i couldn't dig down because of my shoulder injury and my my girlfriend being on the road and besides i had 19 years in as a correction officer so if i get arrested in new mexico my 19 years out of 20 year career is shot so me, I try to do the right thing all the time. I try not to break the law. I know that you're not supposed to dig in a state park, but I went there with my girlfriend who has the anxiety. She was sitting in the truck. She's like, "I don't want any part of digging, and you're going to get arrested." I'm like, "I don't want to get arrested. I just want you to drop me off." But she's like, I couldn't." So she's sitting in a vehicle near in Palisade Cell at night, and that's the reason because we, you're supposed to go at night, and that's in the rest of the poem coordinating with a little story that he used to go down to the graveyard. On his story, Surviving Myself, at the end of the story, that whole paragraph in that picture, that is one of the pictures that I sent Forrest. So when, like, the canopy of stars, you know how he said that he knows that the treasure's been found by a man from back east? I sent him a picture with the canopy of stars at that grave site. He's sitting on a grave marker, but there's a cross in that whole picture there's all tombstones but there's one little cross so when you see that cross that little story he says to get even with my father i jump out of the window which was by my bed and to me all the clues in the book most of them with windows correlate with palisade sill a windowsill because he said he said in the stories i pillowed down on the sill so he would talk about window sills as, an, as a uh, secondary connection with Palisade Sill.
0: So Dave was all in on Palisade Sill and the small cross in the overflow parking lot. Once he figured it out, it seemed connections were being made almost everywhere he looked. Everything seemed to fit.
1: The northern term in Northern America for um, a really bad hand in Canasta, it says, as dead as Canasta. Kent and Esther are both dead. And the other connection with that, which is great, is Forrest said two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. So how does that make sense to anybody unless you realize the two people that he's talking about, two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead because if it's Kent and Esther, they're both dead. They're going to keep a secret. So when I send Forrest That picture of the cross in 2019, July, that's when the controversy started because I probably shouldn't have did this. I was trying to be a wise-ass because he tried to trick everybody so many times. I just kind of sent him the picture and didn't say whether or not I retrieved the treasure chest. But I figured, you know, I'm letting him know that I solved it.
0: And that's the tactical error that Dave Woodard wishes he had never made. You see, he believes he found the location of the treasure, but through fear of arrest and a nagging shoulder injury, he claims that he decided to leave it there with the intent to come back at a more suitable time to retrieve it. The problem is, Dave believes that when he sent the picture of the cross to Forrest, it triggered a series of events. First, Forrest needed to verify that his chest had been found so, according to Dave, Forrest Fenn sent an emissary, his grandson, Shiloh Fenn. Upon arrival, however, Shiloh discovered that the chest, again, this is all according to Dave, had not been retrieved and either kept it for himself or returned it to Forrest. This is why Dave believes that sending the photo of the cross to Forrest Fenn ultimately cost him his rightful claim as the finder as well as millions in gold.
1: I know where the treasure chest is resting. I told Forrest I found the resting spot, but I never told him that I retrieved it. He figured that I probably did, but he should, I think he told somebody. And then they went there and dug it up to see if it had been gone. And that's how this whole controversy started. He confided in somebody. Like when he knew that it had been solved, he told somebody where the place was. And I didn't expect him to do that. I thought that place was going to be saved. and Nobody was going to know about it except for me and Forrest. That's what he said. But he told somebody. And they went and dug it up. And now the big cover-up came up. Because I was like, how could... That, nobody should know where, where that resting place was with the cross being gone for Kent and Esther.
0: Wait. The cross is gone? When pressed to explain this statement, and asked directly if he had the cross removed to prevent other people from finding his spot.
1: I did. I asked some people that I know that were camp hosts in Cimarron Canyon. We were friends with them, and uh, they knew we were there looking because they had a feeling it was in Cimarron. I just confided in them, and they kind of didn't believe me, but I just asked them to take the cross. So originally, I thought it was them who might have screwed me over, but it was forced telling somebody else that he felt like the, the treasure chest was already taken, but the guy didn't come forward.
0: Okay, fair enough. Not so nice to Kent and Esther's relatives, but if what Dave says is true, it's kind of a victimless crime. Moving on.
1: But 2020, in June, there was an announcement that the treasure chest had been found. So now I'm thinking, How could it be found? that The cross was not there for somebody to find it. And I waited for something to come out, and Forrest said that the guy wanted to remain anonymous. He was from the East, but Jack's not from the East. And nobody brings that up. I'm like, why did you people just forget that Forrest said it's been solved by a man from back East? So that's why I call myself the solver, and whoever found it just heard about it and went and dug it up.
0: Just to push back on Dave's argument here, What Forrest Fenn actually wrote is that the treasure was found by a man from the East. And this is just my opinion here, but I think for an old man living in New Mexico, the state of Michigan, where Jack Stoof is from, is the East. Despite the heartbreak that Dave must have felt and must feel still, he's a remarkably positive man with no apparent ill will towards Forrest or anyone else involved in the hunt? Does he believe there was some backroom dealing in the months after Forrest's death? Yes, but ultimately, Mr. Woodard is, as stated, positive.
1: A lot of there's people out there that believe Forrest is still alive. He's not. There's people out there that think Forrest went and got the treasure chest. I was like. Forrest didn't go get the treasure chest because he knew the guy from the East solved the whole poem so somehow that leaked out and I think Forrest at the end I had heard Forrest said to Jack and somebody else they said oh what are we going to end up doing with the treasure chest and Forrest said I know what should be done with the treasure chest but he wouldn't say I believe that's to give it to the guy who really solved the poem which is me I believe that Forrest said that Forrest was an honorable guy. I say that and people are like, oh my God, you're so cocky, you're so narcissistic. I'm like, I'm not narcissistic. I give you my answers and, and everything I figured out that Forrest put into this thing, this effort that he put in, the creativity, and the, it's actually genius.
0: It's been well over a year since the treasure was found and, like Barbara Anderson... Mr. Woodard hasn't gotten the satisfaction he feels he has earned. But, unlike Miss Anderson, Dave hasn't grown resentful or angry or litigious. He is refreshingly self-aware and somewhat resigned to his fate. Kind of.
1: I'm going to look like the smartest dumbass. Why the hell didn't you dig it up? I'm like, it should have been safe. But I know, I know in my heart. With everything that I've solved that I put out there for clues that that was the final, and especially the timeline of him making his announcements from what I've sent him. So everything that happens, I don't know. I, I can't I can't really prove anything except what the real solve is. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: As of this recording, the status has not changed as to who the solver is. And who rightfully claims ownership of the chest. However, Mr. Woodard remains hopeful. We dig into the sixth clue The End is Ever Drawing Nigh. After the break, The End is Ever Drawing Nigh. This clue could be Forrest's masterpiece. The writing of this particular line seems to be the confluence of art and subtlety, of subtext and irony, of a lyrical nod to mortality that also contains a specific set of directions, hiding in plain sight. It has also proved a very easy line for searchers to dismiss as a throwaway. Just Forrest telling us that they should be close to the treasure if they had correctly interpreted his poem, and, as he does, he tried to dress it up a little. The end is ever drawing nigh, according to many searchers, simply means that the chase is almost over. And, since that interpretation would carry no new information with regard to helping find the treasure, the line is often discarded as a placeholder. But where's the fun in that? I mean, it's smack dab in the middle of the really important part of the poem. Not even Forrest would waste that real estate with a line of no importance. And if you dig just a little bit, you'll see that it may, in fact, be the most helpful clue in the entire poem, as well as the most specific. Let's take a closer look. Now, a fly fisherman like Forrest prefers calm waters. But with this clue, He seemed to want to make some waves. To begin with, the line is written in perfect iambic tetrameter, as is the majority of the poem. But this particular line flows with more lyrical beauty than any other, to the point that it feels like it doesn't belong in the poem. The first portion of the line has some inviting alliteration, while syllabically, it not only fits nicely into the meter of the piece, it enhances it. However you choose to recite the line, wherever you decide to put the emphasis, that will determine how the line informs the stanza and therefore how it informs the entire poem. No matter what, the rhythm of the line works. It flows off the tongue with simple poetic beauty. Also, like every great piece of art, it has several legitimate interpretations. Which brings us to why the end is ever drawing nigh, could be Forrest's greatest piece of writing. To break down this line in the poem, we can first take the most obvious interpretation. The end is ever drawing nigh. Taken on its face and remembering it's a poem containing clues about a treasure hunt, it could easily mean that the chase is almost over. You're nearly at the end. One definition of the word draw is to come to or arrive at a point in time or a specified point in a process as in drawing to an end or drawing to a close and nigh although out of common use in the english language for over 100 years is nonetheless generally understood to mean a short distance away or more simply soon and his use of the word ever to describe the immediacy of the end of the chase is a curious one ever is one of those words in the english language that has two similar but weirdly different meanings when we think of the word ever we mostly think of it as referring to something eternal or lasting forever and ever and ever and that certainly is a definition but it's not the first definition that definition is slightly different but very different at the same time. The first definition of ever is at any time. As in, don't ever do that again. At any time, at any point, on any occasion. So did Forrest mean that the end of the chase is eternally coming to an end? Or did he mean that the chase is about to come to an end at any time? The first interpretation could spell out a very personal meditation on mortality. The well-worn idea that we start dying the moment we're born, but don't really realize it until we're faced with the very real prospect of death. When Forrest first sat to compose his poem, he thought he had a year to live, at best. You can bet he was ruminating on the idea of his own end ever drawing nigh, and maybe that was the only place he could fit that observation into his poem. Remember, the poem went through many iterations. Here's Douglas Preston.
1: Forrest showed me a number of drafts of the
0: poems. And when people learned this, they just went nuts. They were like, oh my God, can't you remember those early drafts? But he did rewrite it a few times. He had to rewrite it because the original version of the poem had him, talked about his own body being there. So there's a chance that the line was a holdover from an early draft when he was still planning on killing himself as his final act of self-reliance, and inviting the world to rob his grave if only they could find it. Also, if that's the case, then the line is a throwaway, a placeholder, at least with regard to being helpful in finding the treasure. But there are other, more useful interpretations. If this line is not a meditation on the fact that death will surely come for us all, and it is still a throwaway, then it could simply be a signpost for the searchers. That if they did everything right, the treasure is close. But again, what limited knowledge we have of Forrest Fenn would tell us that he wouldn't waste this precious real estate with an unimportant line so close to the end of the chase. So what does that leave us? It leaves us with a lyrically beautiful line that is possibly also a specific set of directions that, once deciphered, could lead you directly to the treasure. But to understand that, we need to understand Forrest a little better in two distinct areas. One is his time spent on horseback. And two is his time spent in the woods and his understanding of that particular environment. As a boy, Forrest spent his summers on horseback, exploring Yellowstone National Park. He didn't write about riding a bicycle with his friends or even hiking that much. It was always on horseback. And an experienced rider would possess a certain vocabulary specific to the world of horses, just as any person would in any specialized field, sometimes strangely so. To the uninitiated, hearing someone talk about a football game could, at times sound like a foreign language. The same could be said for horses. There are terms and phrases that are unique to people who ride horses. And as far as the treasure hunt is concerned, we need to understand equine directionality. The easiest and most obvious comparison to make would be to nautical directionality. We've all heard people say port and starboard when giving directions on a boat. Port refers to the left and starboard to the right. To anyone not employed on a boat, it seems kind of silly to use completely different words to indicate directions instead of the ones we've used since we learned to speak. But that's how it is. Same with horses. Just not port and starboard. On a horse, the left side is the near side and the right side is the off side. But here's where it gets interesting. Remember the definition of nigh is a short distance away, or near. Nigh and near are synonyms. Why is this important? Because as long as the word nigh was in common usage in the English language, it was also used to refer to the direction left while on horseback. Forrest learned to ride at a young age, presumably by older riders who would have still employed the word nigh when teaching someone horses. Again, why does this matter? What if instead of Forrest simply stating an observation that the end is near, he was actually specifically telling us to go left? But where? That's the other big clue in the line. Drawing. So what is a draw? And I'm referring to the noun draw, not the verb. There are tons of different definitions of draw as a verb. To sketch, to pull a gun, to get an additional card or cards during a card game. But as a noun, there are fewer choices. A draw can mean a tie in a sporting event, the movable section of a drawbridge, a random selection as in a lottery, or a little further down the list, a gully. A gully shallower than a ravine with three raised sides usually found beside a river or stream the amount of time Forrest spent in the woods he would obviously know what a draw is how to identify one and most importantly that it's called a draw and again the line just works let's pretend to be Forrest for a minute he's composing his poem and realizes that he needs to let people know which way to turn after they've crossed the river. But he doesn't want to just write, turn left into the gully. That's far too easy. He knows he's looking at a draw that parallels the river, and that he had to pull on the horse's nigh rein to turn left, and boom! It hit him out of nowhere. The end is drawing nigh. You need to go left through the gully to get to the end of the treasure hunt. And then he added the little ever to fit the established meter of the poem. Considering the structure of the rest of the poem, I admit, it's a stretch. But it's really nice to think that Forrest, if only for a moment, captured a bit of wonder and nuance in this line. For most of the searchers we spoke to, this clue was almost universally dismissed. But not for the solver. Not for Jack Stoof. Supposedly, the Naya's left and drawing-is-a-geological-feature solve was originally his. And according to him, played a huge part in the supposed discovery of the treasure chest. In the next episode, we examine the seventh clue. There'll be no paddle up your creek. And we'll also meet another New Englander, a Boston police detective, who has, by far, the most fascinating solve of them all.
1: Yes, I think there's an exact GPS coordinate inside the poem, yes. That would lead you very close to where the treasure is buried. It's inside the poem, this GPS coordinates inside the poem.
0: Yeah, you're not going to want to miss this. That's next time on X Marks the Spot. X Marks the Spot, The Legend of Forest Fen is a Cavalry Audio production. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and Jason Seagraves. Our executive producers are Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Our associate producer is Margot Carmichael. Zach McNeese is our sound editor, mixer, and post-production supervisor. Music by Blue Dot Sessions and Soundstripe, with additional original music by Bruce Witkin. I'm Brandon Morgan your writer and narrator. Thanks for listening.